I'm Cherise Davis, and I'd like to welcome you to Pineapple Talks. Several years ago, I was introduced to the word hospitality. It resonated with me and it sounded so good to my ears. I even ended up going to school to learn about it. These days, I am a professor and guess what my subject matter is? Hospitality. The world of hospitality is a pretty big one. In fact, it is a trillion dollar industry. As a way to help paint a picture of opportunities for my students and enlighten others who may be curious, I decided to interview men and women who play a part in the hospitality industry. I had the opportunity to meet Kevin James through my work at Atlanta Technical College. And so here's someone who wears a few different hats. He wears a corporate hat. He wears a philanthropy hat and an academia hat. So, Mr. James, welcome to Pineapple Talks. Ms. Davis, thank you so much for having me. And I, I guarantee this interview and conversation as part of the Pineapple Talks will not be boring. It's going to be super exciting. And who knows where we're going to go? Let's hey, let's pray. I think it's going to be fun, too. So I want to start off by... Getting to know the Kevin James before the Kevin James we know now. So the back then, back in the day, Kevin. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> back in the day, like back in the 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 thirties, the forties. Yeah. So, what what kind of things is like my professional or where I grew up? I want to get. I want to go way back in the day. Like, where, where did you grow up? Where are you from? What was life like growing up for you? Sure. So, of course, I'll be remiss if I didn't mention, uh, you know, Kevin James. Thank you so much for having me, Ms. Davis. Um, it's exciting to talk about hospitality and potential careers within the industry. Um, I am a, uh, I'm born and raised in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, small inner city, young man, uh, with, the, of course, the trajectory out of Wilmington back then was, was not looking too bright. So I'm excited to where I'm at today, but I know I have a lot more, uh, a lot more to do in life. But for women's in Delaware, I went to Howard High School or Howard Career Center, which of course is a historically registered register school. It was in fact the only school that African Americans could attend um, years ago. Uh, so in that um, very proud Howard um, Howard High School alumni, and from there, like Miss Davis, I had an opportunity to attend the illustrious Johnson and Wells University. I went to the Providence campus and I majored in hotel management, hospitality, hotel management, as well as um, uh, stayed on board for the MBA program and uh, managerial technology. Um, yeah, so that, that's pretty much me. My background is culinary, but I ventured into hotel management and that's what brought me into where we are today. Gotcha. So how, what was that aha moment? Like you, you mentioned the culinary piece, but what got you started in, in culinary arts? You know, so growing up, um, I grew up in a household where we were at church all the time. And uh, um, back then, I realized if we were going to be there as a, I don't know, a middle schooler, I said, well, I need to get my hands in some, involved in something. Could have been a ministry. That wasn't my calling. Food is ministry. Well, I remember sitting there in church on Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, sometimes Friday, and smelling the food. I mm -hmm. said, you know what? I wonder if they need help down there. And I was, yeah. initially, I was probably thinking about, I just, I just want to get out, you know, go do something. And I found there was an interest there mm -hmm. of uh, learning how to cook. 
And from there, and with my mom at home, of course, the very first chef in my life, um, and just kind of looking over the shoulder and being able to throw things in a pot and try and roll things and mm-hmm. throw it in the oven and see what happens. So at the church, um, they really being trained by a, um, a army veteran who mm-hmm. retired. Um, and he, that was his job at the church. He was a deacon, but also he prepared all the food. And there was a second gentleman that came on board um, who was properly trained in culinary arts. And I just was like under both of their wings, just learning. Um, so from there, that put me into the hospitality because I realized, and honestly, I said, you know what? I like to wear suits. Mm-hmm. I like to have cologne on. Mm-hmm. But see, in culinary arts, there's there's none of that. You're not going to be smelling like anything but food. Yes. So I said, well, maybe if I go into management. That is so, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's mm-hmm. so interesting. I just want to point out like how important it is to, to know yourself and what's important to you instead of making yourself do, you know, do something yeah. that you don't really want to do. And, you know, nothing. Yeah. And it, it was, again, it was fun. It was exciting. I learned a whole lot, an awful lot of culinary arts and time, temperature, you know, mm-hmm. holding and everything, safe serve certified and all that. But one thing I knew, I knew going into high school was there's a ceiling in culinary arts that, you know, once you're a chef, you're always a chef, but then you have to know how to manage the operation. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was thinking, okay, so if I can learn how to manage the operation, whatever that is, and also be able to wear a suit around. Yeah. For me, it just felt good. Yeah. Um, I only had one suit back then, but it just felt good when I put that suit on. Of course, going back to the church, um, I said, maybe I could put that together and go into hotel management. And that's when I competed in high school. Um, Skills USA, which used to be uh, Vika, and I have I had an opportunity to uh, come in second and received a scholarship to Johnson and Wells, and from there was on to hotel management, really reforming those skills. Wow, that's wow. a lot. <laughs> so um, once you got to Johnson and Wells, uh, talk to me a little bit about those years there. You know what what were some memorable experiences that you had at the Providence campus? You know, when I think about John Smalls, I think about diversity. I think about um, it was a trip to me. It was being I mean, first time I went to Providence to visit one time. And so only my second time visiting Providence and the college and realizing that this is my home. This is it. Because my parents dropped me off and made sure I was set up and they left back to Delaware. Six, about five and a half, six hour drive away. So I and I was not flying. I had not want to do flying and all of that going home on weekends and stuff. So I realized very quickly that um, that environment was going to mold me into who I was going to become. Mm-hmm. So I tell you, when I look back at Providence, I think about the diversity of the students at the at the campus. I mean, they had at that point over 72 countries represented at, at the Providence campus. And my roommates, very diverse from all walks of life and socioeconomic backgrounds, but also to see individuals that had a whole lot more that literally were in college as a um, something to do, something to get away. Whereas you had the majority were there to really hone and learn those skills that was going to help um, put them in a better place, better place um, for their career. Mm-hmm. And you have some that which is looking as a way out yeah. of whatever the local environment was. So for me, I felt like I fell in the middle. I was very hungry, very aggressive to learn what Johnson Wells was offering to teach us. 
but at the same time, it was a huge learning curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, at that point, it was, um, I think the African-American population or African-American, Caribbean, and Latino was about 11% of the population on, on the campus in Providence. Mm-hmm. So we were definitely the minority, the underrepresented. Mm-hmm. So while you were in school, did you begin to work in the industry during that time or was it after you graduated? Now, one thing I, I, I strongly believe in, um, if you're interested in something, get close to it, mm-hmm. whatever that is. So I knew I was interested in hotel, hotel management, so I got close to it. So from there, from freshman, soft, each year I had a different job within in Providence, working in the hotel industry in some respects. So I worked in banquet setup um, to the front desk. And with that, I mean, banquet setup literally where you go in, I work, I think I worked four hours a night. And I went in and the banquet captain or uh, banquet manager had a clipboard. Mm-hmm. And just before I really even knew what, what the business was about, I just knew I looked at my clipboard with my name on it and I set the rooms with tables and chairs according to the diagram. Yeah. I clocked out and I went home. Yes. Now um, I know how critically important those setups are yeah. and how sometimes they change when the customer arrives because they are more wrong yeah. um, to work in the front desk in one of the local, local hotels to internship there and working with real people with spending real money, expecting the experience. Right. Um, wow. And in each summer, I had a different job back in Delaware because, again, I couldn't afford to be in nowhere other than home. Um, so each summer I had a different job working within the industry back in Wilmington. So critically important that if you say you're interested, get close to it. And then the, were these all opportunities that you pursued or did some things just kind of fall in your lap? No, I, no, I, I strongly believe in going after what you want. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's sometimes you get lucky, but mm-hmm. I, you know, as an African-American male at the age of 18, 19, 20, I would be coming from Wilmington, knowing that I could not let my parents' money fail. So in that, I wasn't just putting into chance. I had to make sure I was aggressive and strategically putting myself in a place to uh, for, for employment and for future growth. Yeah, yeah. So those were your, your you did the, the four years at the province campus. And so what what happened once you left? Graduation's over. What happened next? So interesting. I did. I did a, a, a rebound. So I, I graduated um, some years ago in '93. Yeah, I graduated undergrad, undergrad, in with uh, um, associates and bachelors. So hotel restaurant management and the hospitality management degree. Moved to Atlanta. Knew no one in Atlanta, but I knew Atlanta was one of the top five cities uh-huh. with hotels. Okay. So I moved to Atlanta. Um, Worked for Starwood at that point. It was Western Peachtree Plaza, so under the Starwood Hotel and Resorts umbrella, and worked front desk. And from there, was promoted um, to a leadership role, and then went over to Wyndham Hotels as a front office supervisor, and also gained the night audit experience. Okay. All within the first two years of graduating, and from there, I said, you know, I can continue this track, but what about? another degree. So I said, hmm, Johnson Wells has, you know, advanced degrees. So now I went back to Providence and spent the next, I guess, five years in Providence working at the college. And that's what afforded me the opportunity to earn my uh, my MBA degree. Ah. So when you went back to Providence, what did you do for Johnson and Wells? 
I worked in financial planning. So, um, in fact, when I went back, um, I was one of the very few African-Americans working at the college in financial planning. So you can imagine all of the underrepresented students all wanted to come to me because I looked like them and I resembled um, and sounded like something that they would understand. Um, And I took that job very seriously because I had an opportunity to help students, A, figure out financially how you can stay here, but also complete, complete. And I was very involved with being an advisor to different student groups and having the African-American extravaganza on campus um, and different things to keep students engaged, um, Mm -hmm. as well as the gospel choir, just to make sure students remained engaged um, to help the years go by quickly. And before you know it, you're at four years and you're graduating. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, we're not even into the other pieces of your life that I know about that I can't wait to talk to you about. So I'm just like, wow. I mean, for some people, that's it right there. And and for you, there's just, there's still more. Well, you know, and honestly, Ms. Davis, I I feel like, um, you know, God has really uh, given me an amazing opportunity to exist. And I believe that if you're not impacting impacting change, then what are you doing? You're taking up space. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're not making other lives better with your existence, then what's the purpose? Why are you why are you here? You're just taking up space. You're taking up oxygen that someone else could be using to change other lives. That's 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 a whole word right there. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna remember that. That's good. So let's kind of move to where you are now. Well, actually, wait, before we go to now, I still know there's still a little more. There's still some some pieces to your story between your time at Johnson and Wales to what you're actually doing now. So once you finish uh, serving, working at that campus, what what was next? I tell you, that's when that's really when my career took off, moved back to Atlanta. So this is back in 98, no, 99, moved back to Atlanta. So I guess it was. Yeah, about five years in province, came back. Um, and when I came to Atlanta, um, I mean, I started my sales career at the Hyatt Regency Atlanta. Uh, Hyatt Hotel and Resorts to this day still has one of the best sales training programs. Mm-hmm. And um, the gentleman that hired me, um, I think he was a Johnson and Wells University alum um, at the Hyatt, me not knowing this, literally, I knew I wanted to come back. I knew I put my resumes in different select hotels and I do, I was just on it. I was just following up in touch in person, going down there and the director of human resources. One day I went, had no appointment. I went and, uh, they called him up. He came upstairs. Now my thought was, if I can talk to you in person, you're going to yeah. tell, you have to tell me no in person yeah. for me to stop. Because back then, emails weren't as prevalent, as easily accessible, as used as now. So you had to tell me. And I wasn't waiting for a phone call. You're going to tell me in person. Yeah. He came up and um, at that point, literally, he took me up to the sales department, introduced me to the sales and marketing, director of sales and marketing. And from there, within a short time, they offered me to come on with the corporate management trainee program, which CMT program. Typically, the CMT program is something that from college, you're fully vetted and invited into. Well, I went directly to the source, not knowing these programs were even possible and got into it that way, only to finish within like three months and placed. And then from there, honestly, so my career took off very quickly. I was there at the at the Hyatt Regency Atlanta about a year. 
And then from there, on a sales call over to the Convention and Business Bureau in Atlanta, introducing myself, and I found out there was an opportunity for to become a national sales manager with the Atlanta Convention and Business Bureau. So literally, they're right next door to each other. The CBD is here and the Heights on the other side, and I parked in the same parking lot and changed jobs within the first nine months of me being in Atlanta um, from a on property to national sales. Mm-hmm. And from there, each year it just took off. Um, but again, not just by happenstance. I mean, literally, it was very intentional in terms That's of- That's what I was going to ask you. Like, was were you very strategic and intentional or did things just kind of happen? My intentionality was more focused on making sure whatever I did, I did it the best I could. Mm-hmm. Not knowing what the next roles would be, but I just knew that whatever I did, whatever position I had, whether it was entry level or whatever the case, don't look at that on paper more of this is an opportunity to come in, mm-hmm. to to master the do the job, master the skills, and then look for an opportunity. Yeah. Uh, or or be positioned and being ready for the opportunity. Because often I'm just a firm believer that you can apply for any job you want, but mm-hmm. at the same time, when you're just doing what you're supposed to be doing. And doing an exceptional job with it, opportunities will be grab will gravitate to you. But you have to be doing what you're responsible to be doing, and of course, doing well. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So, how long did you stay with the Atlanta Convention Visitors Bureau? I was there just under five years with the Atlanta Convention Visitors Bureau, and then from there, I went to Noble. Investments. So, Nova at that point in Atlanta, they were still a small company mm-hmm. and they were opening up a few hotels. So, I helped them open up one of the properties in Atlanta. Okay. Um, and then, literally, I, I think that's when I probably, uh, my career changed from me not knowing what the next was, was versus being able to kind of pick. Okay. Because at this point, you, you'd done a lot. So you, you were really able to be very clear on what you wanted and what you did not want to do. Right. Exactly. So so the next hat, I guess, well, not hat, but the next company, was that IHG or was there an yes. before? Okay. After after Noble, I came to IHG. Um, and I, not corporate, but I worked on property first. Oh, worked on property okay. with the Crown Plaza with IHG. Um, in Atlanta for five years. Typically, what's interesting is my experience level averages five years okay. at a, per stop. Mm-hmm. Um, so IHG Crown Plaza here in Atlanta, worked on property in sales and marketing, um, senior sales manager. And uh, from there, did very well. Mm-hmm. I was responsible for um, groups and meetings. So association market and um, government and mm-hmm. did very well. And to a point that um, the Georgian Terrace, of course, historically registered hotel here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. They had a position open and I received a call um, if I, to see if I was interested. So literally, I went from one hotel on Friday to another hotel on Monday yeah. um, and brought customers with me, my clients. And I was there for just about five years. Yeah. Similar role, very similar role. Um, sales manager, um, association and government, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, did very well. Just rolled in about five years. And then that's when ISG corporate had this opportunity. They found you. They were like, there's this guy out here that's just killing the hotel sales game. Well, you know, I, I think I think the the wonderful advantage of being in a city like Atlanta, um, you know, we have tons of conventions and, and events and trade shows and 
business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, and, and my my philosophy is companies and organizations want to come to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It's up to the hotel sales community to capture your fair share. Mm-hmm. So you can just wait for, for them to knock on the door, or you could be a little more proactive and go after and find the business that you want. Mm-hmm. And I was just a little more proactive and just finding the business that made sense for wherever I work for. That made sense for us. Yeah. Yeah. So now that you're at I currently at IHD, tell tell us. I know we've kind of been speaking, saying IHD, but you know, tell us what IHD actually stands for and about the company. Um, for those that you know may not know anything about IHD. So Intercontinental Hotels Group. Um, you know, most people know IHG or Intercontinental Hotels Group because of our Holiday Inn brand. Our Holiday Inn brand, everyone stay, has stayed at the Holiday Inn over the years. Mm-hmm. And that's the fabric, that's the founding um, mantra of IHG. Now, from that, we've come along where we have 15 different brands. Mm-hmm. Most people will probably know our Intercontinental brand, which, of course, here in Atlanta, we have the Intercontinental bucket mm-hmm. and a few others that may be coming into the region as well as some may know of IHG from our Staybridge Suites brand, uh, Holiday Inn Express, um, Kempton for the for those in the mid-Atlantic other cities, Kempton, Hotel Resorts. Yeah. Um, but I tell you, we have some very, very high-end brands that are coming to all reach to other regions and then coming into the US eventually. But uh, Boco, which is a unique, very unique brand. Uh, Regents. Regents is literally, if there is such a thing in different regions, you have six-star properties. Um, These are very exclusive, high-end experiences. You're paying several thousand dollars per night. Uh, uh, Yeah. But several thousands of dollars. You are definitely, yeah. Because again, you're you're not looking for rate. You're looking for the experience. And their locations, you know, if there was such a thing, um, we have different ones coming, but to give you an example, um, Buckingham Palace, and if there was a regent nearby across the street, mm-hmm. that level of experience. You're not thinking cost. You're thinking experience. Experience. Right. right. And we have several other brands, but those are primarily the brands that most people know um, throughout the U.S., but in some aspirationally that we're, we'll be introducing throughout the U.S. very, very, uh, very soon. Mm-hmm. So with your role, what's your role currently at IHG? What do you do and why is it so significant? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So <laughs> in that, I've been at IHG for five years. Um, ding, 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 five years. I, I mean, it's had me five years. But we know we're also in the middle of a global pandemic. So, mm-hmm. you know, not, not trying to jump around too quickly. But in that, um, my current role is in global sales strategy. So... I have the pleasure of leading our leisure sales um, portfolio of accounts. Um, so in, in layman terms, we think of where we are as an industry. Mm-hmm. Those corporate travelers are probably not traveling right now. Mm-hmm. But the business that is still traveling are individuals mm-hmm. on their own, paying out of their own pocket. So in the hotel world, we looked at as leisure travelers. Mm-hmm. That's like if you were to travel with your family or individual or, or myself, leisure travelers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have the pleasure of uh, coming back to IHG in this role. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing very well. I, I've been in this role for only a few months because just before, for the previous five years, I was still at IHG. I, uh, I led the new business development profile, a team. 
So, so in that, I'm excited about leisure sales. And uh, again, they're, they're booking a lot of business right now. So I'm looking to continue to feed the competition and win. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely strike me as someone that is very competitive, very confident, and just like, go get it, get it done. Well, you know, Ms. Davis. Have you always I, been that way or do you? No. No, I, I will say that when I started with the Atlanta Convention and Business Bureau in a national sales role, after coming from on property, I mean, you're going from working on property, one hotel, mm-hmm. selling to customers for, that, for only that one hotel. So then now having a role, a national sales role representing the entire region mm-hmm. of multiple brands, um, you know, it was it was daunting. It was it was at a point it was I think it was in, intimidating. But I remember at that point, um, my uh, previous uh, manager, uh, Elliot Ferguson, who is the uh, president of Destination DC, which is of course Washington DC's Convention and Business Bureau. He was mm-hmm. he was at that point our vice president of sales and marketing in Atlanta, and he and he basically told me he said, you know, I hired you for this role because I know you can do this role. Okay. Go figure it out. Wow. That's it. That's it. Which was reassuring to me that. Obviously, you saw some skills that I had. Mm-hmm. You saw my resume mm-hmm. and you figured, OK, if I had to take a chance on someone and hang my hat on someone that would make me proud, mm-hmm. you put it on me. So I had a support. So from there, I just started meeting with my predecessor for my role, mm-hmm. as well as hotel community. And one thing about anything new, if you just start talking to people that are impacted by your role, they'll kind of help you figure out what you should be doing. Yeah, because they're not shy and they need you to do what you're doing to feed them business. Mm -hmm. So essentially, you know, when you're sitting down with your counterparts, you'll learn the role pretty quickly. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I I, I just that's that's very inspiring to me because, you know, personally, that is an area of my life that I want to grow in is is just being more confident and being more of a go getter. And so, you know, basically what you're saying is, you know, some nuggets that I can take for myself. So that's, that's real good. You know, and, you know, and even in terms of confidence, you don't have to know everything. Yeah. You don't have to know everything. But I tell you one thing I live by is I may not know everything, mm-hmm. but I'm going to keep, A, I'm going to ask a whole lot of questions. Yeah. Or I'm going to surround my people or mm-hmm. surround myself with people that know a lot more than me. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So with with that, I kind of want to still in the same vein of, you know, managing challenges or, or learning curves. So within your current role, what would you say have been some challenges that you've had? And if you want to maybe tie that into to COVID, because I'm pretty sure that that's had an impact as well. Yeah. Um, so kind of let me know pre-COVID, what were, you know, what was the challenge? And then now that you're in COVID, what you're having to navigate as well. I tell you, pre-COVID, um, just thinking about previous role in business development, pre-COVID was more of being competitive, you know, and then leading a team and keeping the team uh, focused okay. on how to be competitive without being annoying to customers. Um, you know, I actually is considered one of the top four hotel companies or the top three, depending on who you ask. So customers know ISG, they know our portfolio of hotels, mm-hmm. uh, they know we're pretty much position everywhere that they're probably going to do business. Mm-hmm. But then how do you articulate that need and desire, the need of hotels to the desire of the customers doing business with us? 
Right. And match those two, which sometimes it's it's hard because again, you're not signing the contract. You're bringing everyone to the table and hoping we can get it. We can get it done, and that both will sign and agree. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, we celebrate on the back end. I think in current times, um, COVID, to your point, COVID-19 has disrupted the world. Yeah. It has definitely turned the hotel hospitality industry up, upside down. Uh, although there is a small glimmer of a uh, rebound or a you know V-shape, so that we're on an upswing. Mm -hmm. But then just as I had a call this morning, in fact, before we got on, um, my colleagues in the UK, um, they're shutting down. Which could it could mean different things. You got to think that in this country, in America or in the United States, we operate a little different when it comes to pandemics, as we've learned. Versus other countries, they just close down mm -hmm. and everyone follows that order, and then they reopen gradually or safely. Mm -hmm. So I think right now um, it's more of reminding customers that. Our hotels are available. Most of our hotels are back open, uh, not at full capacity, but they're at uh, 20, 30 percent occupancy on average. Although some are doing much better than that. Some are sold out, just depending on where they are, if they're really targeting leisure business and their locations um, and destinations. It just kind of depends. So I think right now our strategy is more, is more positioning IHG of when the customer is ready, please consider us. Um, you have a friend in the business, so when you're ready, we're ready to do business with you. Right. Yes. What is it that people say? If you stay ready, you don't have to. You don't have to. Well, you have to. Yeah, you have to stay ready. In fact, uh, IHG was one of the very first. I guess one of the only hotel companies that during this whole pandemic, we were the last ones to furlough, but also the first ones to bring folks back. And the idea behind that was when customers are engaging to shoot out the RFPs for hotels, for leisure business, corporate business, group business, or social events. Mm -hmm. We want someone to be there, but we want a team to be there ready to engage versus some of our competitors. They have not brought back a lot of people mm -hmm. and opportunities are being sent to hotels, but then there's no response right. or there's a delayed response. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no ideal way to do it, but I, I think I would err more on the side of having staff ready yes. for engagement, showing that the numbers um, in confidence, um, uh, user confidence is increasing. So mm -hmm. that says that people are going to begin to travel. People don't want to be home forever. They're going to want to travel. And in that, when we've learned that, the first, you know, the first person to answer the phone or respond, typically you get the business. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you about the highlights of your, your years at IG and maybe even a few years and years before that. Um, when you think about the hospitality industry, what, what have you found most enjoyable? What have been some perks or mem memorable experiences that you've had? I think most enjoyable, I mean, of course, we, it's the travel industry, right? So you think, I mean, I've had, I've had amazing opportunities within the industry, the opportunities that I did not see. So if you dial it back to earlier of our conversation, um, when we talk about like from high school, going to college, thinking, oh, culinary, oh, cooking to, oh, I, oh, I want to learn management. 
I didn't know that there are so many different roles within the hospitality and hotel industries. I didn't know the Convention and Visitors Bureau or Tourism Bureaus. I didn't know that existed. Mm-hmm. But by excelling at what I was doing on property, and it's going over just talking about my property that opened up an opportunity. So I think over the years, I found that there are so many opportunities mm-hmm. to uh, to move around and make money. I mean, you know, we have to be honest. Like, yeah, you can make $20,000 a year, but there are some people making $200,000 a year in the industry. Um, it just depends on your role, your location, um, your benefits package, the company you work for. Um, and also, you know, there's a, there's a little piece of luck there, but I think also, I think I'll not put it on luck. I will put it on preparedness. Yes. Um, so, so I think over the years, the travel, mm-hmm. I've traveled, I mean, you know, Hawaii to uh, so many different states. I probably have stopped counting. It's probably easy to say how many states have I not been to. Um, but Hawaii, Canada, um, Dominican Republic, um, Mexico. Uh, those are all for business. Wow. In addition to most of, or at least 75% of the states mm-hmm. um, for, for different things. And at all these events, you know, and, and customer meeting with customers, I'm entertaining, so I'm, I'm eating at some pretty amazing restaurants. But also, I mean, it's, it, it's the price of a business. You're taking a customer to dinner, uh, like I would say, you used to take a customer to the old Waldorf Astoria in New York, mm-hmm. um, fine dining. But I know if this is my top customer for Atlanta, mm-hmm. they deserve whatever that is because it's it's a transaction. It's a price of doing business. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything else maybe that you think you want to say about um, just the corporate world? Because, um, I mean, it's for a person hearing you now and seeing you now, it looks like roses and good food and you know it looks wonderful um but maybe is there any maybe honest truth that maybe is that you feel like people should know yeah i i, I mean i think that just in life right you can't expect mm-hmm. can't go into these roles expecting that the job owes you mm-hmm. no you just get in there you excel at the role you pr- you produce based on the requirements of the role and in that opportunities will gravitate to you there will be conversations that you will have on the elevator down out to the car that you didn't realize that that person has been waiting to talk to you in an informal environment. Um, so, so in that, I think you just have to just look for opportunities, get in there and just produce, just produce. Yeah. And that's I love how you just want to say, I love how you answered that. Cause I think maybe I was looking for a different answer, but I, I like how you turned that around. Um, and you, and I think it's just a good perspective shift to not have expectations, you know, of other people and just, yes, you getting, you do your part. And if you find for some reason it's not working for you, then it's on you to make a change, but you can't have that expectation. Yeah. I, I have definitely learned, uh, my time with corporate again, five years in that, um, opportunities will find you. Mm-hmm. You stay in your lane. You produce based on your role and expectations of you in that role. Yeah. Don't try to do, again, 100%. I used to tell my team all the time, give 100% mm-hmm. to your employer. That does not mean give 150%. That also does not mean give 80%. Give 100% because every payday, 
you're expecting 100 percent of your salary. Yeah. You're not expecting 85 percent. Yeah. But also, yeah. you're not expecting 110 percent. So give 100 percent of what the expectations are, and you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's that's a great wrap up wrap up to the corporate world. So this is the part that I've been waiting for. I, I I'm excited about this next. This part two here, um, yes, very impressed with the fact that you have this thriving corporate career and you've done all these amazing things for all these other people, but you're doing some amazing things for a lot of other people in another way. So I want to get the scoop on the Atlanta ice cream festival. Like, the scoop. Yeah, I want, oh, the scoop. I can't say give me the tea. Because we're not talking tea, we're talking ice cream here. And give me the scoop. What is, what's the origin story of the Atlanta Ice Cream Festival? So I would tell you, when you think about the Atlanta Ice Cream Festival, right? But also, as we just briefly discussed, my background is in culinary, right? Mm -hmm. My, I learned culinary first. Then I learned the hospitality and the experience component of the industry, secondly. Um, but with my culinary background, I am working in Atlanta for over 20 years now. Mm -hmm. I've made I've made some amazing relationships and have had the opportunity to meet a lot of people. Um, not like all of them know me, and it's not like I know them all by first name, but the experiences meeting different people from different energies. So in that, um, 10 years ago, in 2010, I created a concept in Atlanta that talked about bringing families to the park for a good old-fashioned fun day. Interesting enough, I wrote the business plan back in 2008. Wow. And if you recall, 2008 and 2009, that was the financial bubble. That was the crash. And people were losing homes, cars, relationships, mm. or even worse. But yet, as a family man, I said, you know, I wanted to put something in Atlanta that kept folks focused on family mm. and the purpose of family. Mm -hmm. Now, not knowing 10 years later, we're kind of in the same situation of yeah. family, right? Yeah. So we're celebrating 10 years of the Atlanta Ice Cream Festival, but I didn't know the concept. You know, they say every 10 years, things kind of yeah. resurface. Yeah. Um, so that was the impetus behind uh, creating the Atlanta Ice Cream Festival, um, Good Old Fashioned Fun Day. And the concept has only gotten better, but has not lost the focus on mm -hmm. families, park, Good Old Fashioned Fun Day. Yes. And and I've been a few times and it's it's so much fun. Like it's 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 a lot of fun and I mean it's overwhelming in a good way when you just see how many vendors are there and how many options you have. You're like, I don't know, do I want their ice cream or do I want their ice cream? You know, you just bring bring your purse or buy yeah, the book or wallet or yeah. whatever. Yes. Uh, so I I've, I really kind of want to linger here a little bit and just kind of talk to us about the growth. You know what what things were like when you first started. And then kind of, you know, what, what, what was that experience like overall? 10 years is a long time. So, I mean, yes. I could kind of give us an abridged version, but kind of take us through some of the, the stages of growth. Well, I will tell you, there, there were a lot of um, lessons learned, right? I think the first lesson that I think about that I'm thinking in this moment is trust your instincts yeah. and, uh, and, and just remember, no one's going to work your vision like you. If God has given you the vision for that path yeah. or that idea, he gave it to you. Yeah. He didn't give it to you and five other people to work together. He gave it to you. So in that, 
when you're sharing with others of uh, what the idea is, like when I brought up for the first time in Atlanta um, with among friends or with the MPU boards, the uh, neighborhood planning unit boards or the neighborhood associations. And I'm talking about I had this idea of the ice cream festival. And they're looking at me like, oh, what? <laughs> and ice cream. It's surprising. I mean, you're like. How could you, I mean, knowing how, knowing how successful you all are now, you're just like, you guys, they were crazy to just not give you the time of day. Like, Well, and it, <laughs> I mean, it, it was testing because um, my daughters were younger at that point. Mm-hmm. And I remember going into my first MPU meeting and neighborhood planning meeting in Atlanta. And there were all kinds of questions of who's backing this financially, who's benefiting financially to... Where did this idea come from? To who's planning this thing? Who's being held responsible for this thing? And how is our community benefiting from this thing? I mean, literally, it was like a firing line, as well as going before the uh, in city council chambers with the various departments of city of Atlanta, um, just asking details of like, because again, no one knew me. Um, but sounded like this event was, you know, I guess. It was going to Piedmont Park, which is the premier park in Atlanta, um, mm-hmm. owned and managed by City of Atlanta, uh, owned and managed by um, Piedmont Park Conservancy, which is still part of City of Atlanta. So, so I had a, there were it was like a firing squad. Yeah. And when yeah. I look back, and this literally was ten years ago. And when I look back, um, I appreciated all of those questions and conversations and feedback because it is only helped me to implement, me and the team to implement over the years some of the things we've heard. Mm-hmm. And here, when someone provides feedback, I listen and I respond and we try to implement it the next year. Um, mm-hmm. So all feedback is good for me because when I'm at the event and when the team's at the event, we may not see everything yeah. or hear yeah. everything. So please, any of the feedback is good. But yeah, it's uh, it's come a long way. Yeah. It really, really has. So how do you go about, tell me, can you tell us a little bit about your team? Because it sounds like, oh, yeah, there's this guy that created this festival and he just had this idea and then bam, it just happened. But we know that there's all these steps along the way. So break it down just a little bit more for us. So for instance, when you're putting together an event. How do you do a festival? Like, What do you need to do to, to do that? Yeah, so in Atlanta uh, specifically, um, when you're putting an event together in the city of Atlanta, you have to plan mm. that people will come, right? Because in the city of Atlanta, in the city of Atlanta, so like maybe, maybe some other cities, people love outdoor events. So although you may be thinking, oh, I'm going to have 100 people, 200 people, you need to plan for a solid whatever that number is plus. Because once people hear about it with no advertising and it sounds halfway decent, like ice cream, yeah. people are coming. Um, the first year I had 12, well, the first year I had 12 vendors total. Mm-hmm. I only had 1.5 ice cream vendors and really the eight of which, eight of the 12, 15 vendors were um, non-food. These were more um, health and wellness engagement kind of focus things for the family, things that focus on community. Uh, and then I have a barbecue vendor. So literally, I probably had three food vendors total, mm-hmm. one and a half for ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't know what to expect. But in that, when you're planning, you have to plan the logistics of 
affordable restrooms, mm -hmm. uh, as well as who's who's cleaning up <laughs> um, before, during, and after. And you gotta pay you gotta pay those folks too. They're not no there are no volunteers. Um, so your portables, your cleanup crew, as well as uh, um, well, the city of Atlanta, <laughs> the mayor's office of special event, there's permits that you have to have, mm -hmm. whether it's for food or whether it's to hold the actual event itself. Mm -hmm. um, and building permits, and there's, there, there's a lot, which means that as a first-timer, some lessons I learned over the years. Some mm -hmm. things I didn't know until I knew mm -hmm. over the years. Um, that's why my, my thought is you want you want to you want to plan it, but have a tight group of people that can help you. Yeah. Realizing that everyone's going to be committed for the long haul, but you got to have a tight committee that can help you because one person can't do everything. And then, honestly, you want to have people that can just look out for you, just people that just be on the rails of it to kind of say, hey, heads up, this happened or this didn't happen from the experience perspective. So congratulations on 10 years. Thank you. Um, what's interesting is that on your 10-year anniversary, it was also COVID. <laughs> yes. So yes. how are you and your team managing, and the popular word I'm hearing today is pivoting, how you are pivoting um, yeah. with the festival in light of COVID? So for 2020, so 2020, uh, our 10-year anniversary this summer, right? So we pivoted, definitely, we pivoted to go virtual. Mm -hmm. which is very different because people are used to coming and engage with over 125, 130 vendors, 75 plus different ice cream vendors, and just an experience, the live stage and the energy and from the Latino community to the Asian community to yoga to just, there's a lot, there's a lot going yeah. on. Um, to even like there's a, there's a, uh, there's a section where we added, it's like, um, I guess more like a relaxation zone, really, mm -hmm. where if you just want to just sit down mm -hmm. and just have a, have a moment. Yes. But in that, this year, pivoting into the virtual environment, um, the focus is more of showcasing local, still local mom and pop shops mm -hmm. about their businesses at no cost mm -hmm. and allowing them to still receive some PR and some coverage mm -hmm. to hopefully then bring people that are following us through virtual online formats to their respective stores. Right. Um, and then on our uh, website, com, you'll see a link there where it talks about the history. Mm -hmm. And literally it's a longer expanded, extended version of just speaking through the history on the festival. And that was really the purpose was just more of giving folks an overview of what was it like back in 2008, 2009, sitting at the coffee shop, writing out this plan. Yeah. And then sitting on it for two years and finally pushing it mm -hmm. and then propelling it forward to 10 years later and the future. What does that look like? So I have two questions. One is, uh, it's a fun one. Um, and that's going to be what's probably the most unique ice cream flavor that you have, you know, seen, you know, over the years, you know, some of yeah. the most unique flavors. So I want to answer that one next. But I, the first one I want to ask is you said that you sat on the plan for two years. Absolutely. Um, when you say you sat on it, is it because why did you sit on it? Well, you know, most entrepreneurs, right? Most you, you're always your biggest critic. You always think about what you don't have versus what you have. Mm -hmm. um, 
I had the most important part, which was the concept and the vision mm-hmm. uh, and the drives. That's I had the most important parts. What I what I said I didn't have was I didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. But when you have the the vision and the drive, the money will come. Mm-hmm. So in that, as a for-profit entity under the current structure of the Atlanta Ice Cream Festival, vendors are paying to be there. Sponsors are paying to be there. So the money that I was telling myself prior to launch that I didn't have, once I launched it, people paid to be there. Mm-hmm. So then I had the money to offset the cost of right. running that right. which is kind of, you know, it's, that's why I say when you're, when you have an vision and you feel as if this is something that um, you really want to do, uh, you, 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 you want to do it, just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my really, really good friends, Leah Dorch, and she has passed away since. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been uh, four years now. Um, she passed away to liver and bile duct cancer, but she was the first person to hear and to push me and say, KJ, just do it. I was like, and you know, I was like, I don't have the money for this, 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 just do it. I'm not from here. I just do it. And I did it. And we did well from each year. It grew and we learned some things. Whereas if I, if I had still set on the concept, I would still be preparing for the what thing, for the what ifs, the things that I would still never know because I didn't do. Yeah, you are speaking to me like just. Oh, there you go. Like that's wow. Okay. Just do it, Miss Davis. Just, just do, it. do it. Oh my goodness. Okay, so to close out the uh, piece on the Atlanta Ice Cream Festival, yeah, tell tell me about some of the crazy, unique flavors you've seen. Well, what's what's funny is over the years, right? When earlier on with ice cream, it literally was the churn ice cream, the homemade churn. We can expect that to just really good ice cream. We can expect that to the different flavors and toppings and unique looks of it. Mm-hmm. But then over recent years, this liquid nitrogen mm-hmm. ice cream is a thing. And of course, on a hot summer day in Atlanta, where it's 90 degrees, having that cool air. So it's, it's very popular. Okay. Um, and you have a tent and all this cool air is coming out. Mm-hmm. And you're literally making ice cream. With using liquid nitrogen into these bowls, it shoots in there and you're turning the cream and liquid nitrogen is in there and it's actually bringing it down to temperature. 30 seconds, 30 seconds per batch and it's it's done. It's fascinating to watch. Um, That that definitely sounds very fascinating. Between and the um, rolled ice cream. Yes. So that's another one over the most recent years that's become very popular. It's a metal, metal plate. Mm-hmm. That's sub zero. And as you put the cream on there with the toppings, you're chopping and you're smoothing yeah. it out and you're rolling this. Yeah. It, it, it looks like I've watched, you know, people do it and it's like a whole arm workout. I'm like, it definitely is. <laughs> and it's, it's always small guys that be doing it. I'm thinking, man, it, I don't know, that's a lot of work. Like, I'm thinking it has got to be an easier way to do this. Right. It's cool to watch. Yeah. Um, what you think, like, uh, was it Cold Stone? Mm-hmm. Cold Stone was on the front they, end of yeah, this, whereas they were just mixing. Yeah, that they were just mixing things into the base flavors of ice cream. But now we're chopping things yeah. into the in the road, and you know it's yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely it's, an experience. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, thinking back when you were talking about with hotels, and you know, I think 
it's not just what it is. Like people are wanting an experience, you know, is the gone are the days we just, just scoop the ice cream out. You know, I mean, yeah. the ice cream is still good, but people want to feel like they're getting something different. And, and, really and but, but then also you still have those good old faithful folks yeah. that want Haagen-Dazs, Bluebell, Briars, mm-hmm. or they want to go to your local friendlies, mm-hmm. um, Baskin Robbins, Roosters, and they just want a scoop of or a single serving of that's true you know, pistachio or mint chocolate chip or chocolate chip cookie dough. Yeah. You know, and that's all they they don't want all that extra stuff. Yeah. They just want what they want because they know the flavors are not gonna be right exactly what they expect. That's true. Very, very true. Okay, that was fun. That was fun. So let's move on. So as if IHG and AICF wasn't enough for your plate, you are still um, you're still helping others, and you're right. doing that in the academia world by being an adjunct professor at Atlanta Technical College, which is how we met. Yeah. So how did that opportunity come about? Well, and again, being in lane, like in lane, just doing what you're doing. Uh, for the longest time, I've always had an interest in uh, teaching. Uh, and I think I, since my time at Johnson Wells University, uh, one of my very first professors, Professor Fred T. Faria, and he, uh, or Faria, because of course New England is Faria, Faria. And he, he had this this uh, this mustache that kind of, you know, he turned it up, kind of the oh. handlebar kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And he wore a bow tie. Which of course took that wear bow ties. So I was like, so I remember freshman year, I was like, wow. And I think he taught intro introduction or intro to hospitality. Mm-hmm. Man, I like this guy's bow tie. I like, you know, I was stuck on a bow tie. Um, great educator, but I was stuck in a bow tie. So from there, over the years, I always remember when I, I figured when I got enough experience in the industry, I would love to return to the academic environment and kind of just share some of my experiences. So with that, at, uh, at the point, and I think this is in 2012, I was working at the Georgia Terrace, mm-hmm. and um, uh, Miss Jones, who is the chairperson of our department at Atlanta Technical College, she had reached out because they were having um, a program, and she just wanted me to kind of come in and cover a class. So I went in, and it was hospitality law, which of yeah. course being on, on, on property, working with contracts all the time. So I went in and did a presentation on contracts. Mm-hmm. And from there, as I'm in there talking about the contracts and one of my favorite contracts, this thing was like over 20 pages long, yeah. the hotel contract. And I'm talking about it and talking about the different components of the contract. What, what's that? I was just going to say, like, you know, I, I'm assuming where I knew where this is going, but, you know, someone listening to you give a presentation, they're probably like, no, he looks like he could be a professor. Oh, well, even better than that. I look over to my left and I see at that point, the dean, the wow. chairperson, and two or three other people came in. Wow. It was accreditation time. Wow. So the accreditation team, the SACS accreditation team was walking into the class as I'm talking about the contracts and making ATP look good. Well, I just kinda I just kinda <laughs> I just kinda figured out I needed to, you know, dig deep. So yeah. I, I, I went up a notch. Yeah, yeah, I just went, I kicked it up a couple of notches and finished. <laughs> <laughs> and they stayed. I, they stayed maybe fifteen minutes. When they left out, and I saw the nod from the dean. I said, "Well, I, okay." But then from there, it um, conversations ensued, and, and, and uh, 
you create an opportunity. So I guess, again, me walking in the path, not expecting, but right, just right. doing what you're doing and opportunities will gravitate and doors will open. And from there, um, I've been into college now since 2012. So I, I think, eight, I don't know, eight, eight years. I keep on saying six years, but I, yeah, I know it's not six. And yeah, I think because, I've been there since 2015. So yeah. yeah. So okay. easy math says it's not six. So it's probably more like eight years as an adjunct, and I've probably taught, if not all of the uh, various different courses, at least once or twice. Um, my typically my typical go to classes are hospitality law and event planning. Yes, yes, yes. You can have law. <laughs> I'll be <laughs> for you. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. And and you know you think I take what I'm doing at corporate as well as the events, bring that into hospitality law and share from from the perspective of how would you handle the varying dis, um, situations mm-hmm. from a hotel or from an ownership perspective. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we're in the final segment of our conversation today, and I'm so glad that you just have shared so freely. Um, so I want to ask you about the later phase. I do believe that there's value in thinking forward and looking ahead and seeing, you know, what's next. So what's next for you professionally? Like, are there any other opportunities or businesses that you'd like to launch? And then what about you personally? What are some personal uh, goals that you have for yourself? Well, I mean, I think there's there's a there's a part that, of course, can't necessarily share publicly. But I do believe in growth. I do believe um, so professionally first in the corporate space. Um, I think there's a lot more. I think there is opportunities within um, development, um, uh, you know, hotel development. I think there's some opportunities there that I'll be interested in. So as I am walking in this space and excelling and doing well, mm-hmm. um, the intentional um, perspective of that is to attract and position for development. So we'll see if the two align themselves or cross paths. Um, but but again, when you're looking at opportunity, you have to make sure you're doing exceptionally well in what your current assigned role is, not trying to do 50% here and, and move over there. Um, so I think development is us of interest or um, maybe perhaps leading a team down the road. Um, that, that could be, you know, that was interesting. Definitely a learning opportunity um, as it was before. Mm-hmm. I think personally, um, I'm a coffee shop fan, as we know, as we've spoken of many times. I'm also an ice cream fan, as you can imagine, because we're in an ice cream festival. So I do believe that there are more cities that do not currently have ice cream festivals. Mm-hmm. And we have a few on on short list mm-hmm. that we are looking to um, to branch out and, and look to, to, to get into. Yes. Um the biggest issue right now is COVID, right? So, so what does the trajectory or forecast show for next summer festival season and trying to plan accordingly, or is this 2022? Right. But, um, but I do think that there is an appetite and the desire for more um, family-friendly events. Absolutely. Globally. So, yes, um, globally. Yeah, globally. Uh, you know, in you may or may not know, ice cream is... America's number one dessert. Mm. So when you think about ice cream, and this is a good good way to bring closure to the ice cream conversation, you got to think ice cream um, was probably involved in everyone's first. Yes. You know, relationship. I guarantee you, the first three dates, one of those three, you want you had ice cream. Mm-hmm. 
But also when you broke up, one of those three posts, probably the first, uh, right, you probably had, you know, it's just the thing. You didn't go for coffee. Yeah. You Ice cream was probably in there somewhere. Yeah. And it, that's never going to change. So in that, when you think about being involved in the industry, that will never change. It may evolve or pivot as you into into doing it a different way. But the basis of um, milk fat, cow, camel, almond, yes, uh, yes. all these different, whatever kind of creams you want to use, people want what they want. And they want it cold. They want it frozen. It's sweet. Yeah. And they want it sweet. And people will, the last thing you look at when you go to the ice cream parlor is the price. Yep. You're looking for the experience. Yes. You look, you're looking down here. You're not looking up there. You're looking at the case. Oh, let me taste this. Let me, yeah. Yeah. And you'll go back to your favorite. Well, I'll just do strawberry or whatever yeah. your favorite is. <laughs> and you're going to get over there and say, and then would you like that in a, in a waffle cone or a triple right. dark, dark chocolate? Yeah. Give me that one too. Yeah. Dipped in chocolate, dipped in white chocolate. Oh yeah. Give me that too. And it's like, what I'd be fifteen dollars. Okay, right? Because it's that that one experience, and you know, you know, you're not going to do this every night. This is no, you, you, yeah. you shouldn't. Don't don't do that every night. Yeah, that'd be super expensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, although, also, last fun fact: there is more consumption of ice cream mm. during the winter months than the summer months. I did not know that. That's you know why? Interesting. Well, imagine. In the summer months, spring and summer, people are going to parties. Mm-hmm. So when you go, you're probably going to do a single serve. Yes. When you're at home. Yeah. It's the holidays. You know, people, you're having people over, well, COVID, but, you know. You may do a couple of scoops. Yes. Per setting or at more frequently. Yes. So there's, that's why there's more consumption. Um, during the winter months, and also that's less guilt. You're you're yeah, home by yourself. Like it's my it's my refrigerator. I can yeah. go in there and get my if yeah. I want to get that last scoop. I I want to save yeah. it to Friday. Matter of fact, I'm gonna finish it. And I'm gonna get a new one on Friday. Right. Um. I'm not saying me. I'm just saying germ because I make my own ice cream. Other people. Oh yes, because you make your own ice cream. Yes. Yes. I've I've seen a few pictures. So. Yes. So the, the last and final question is, um, I just kind of want to know what are maybe one or two best practices that you can share um, about how you're juggling? I mean, it, it seems like you're juggling, um, but how how are you making self-care? You know, you're, you're a husband, you're a father, you're a friend, you, you know, like how are you managing all of your different worries? Um, well, I think, you know, Ms. Davis, I think that it's very important to be um, grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when, no matter how successful for me, no no matter how successful one or I would become, mm-hmm. you have to remember that at the twinkling of an eye, it could, it could be taken away. Like literally, so don't think just because you made a million dollars, like you're good, like you, you've arrived. Mm-hmm. Because with one lawsuit of 50 million, now you're depressed. Mm-hmm. So just be very happy to re- to be remain to re- remain focused. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, in terms of juggling, you know, all the different things I'm juggling. Uh, when you think about, it's all related, right? It's yeah. Hospitality and food. It's that's it. It's all related. So even in the academia um, environment, 
I don't have to do a lot of preparation for that outside of what I'm doing yeah. because yeah. I'm in the industry every day. So when we're talking about bringing that knowledge to the academic environment, that's just a tra transfer of knowledge. Yeah. Um, even still, I can transfer knowledge and hit all of the um, the um, you know the syllabus items. Those those items we have to hit on the syllabus. Um, the comp the core competencies for each course. Because I'm working in the industry, I think in terms of staying organized, um, that that just goes with practice. I mean, you just have to know that every week will be different. Every month is going to be different. Clearly, year over year, as we know right now, it's going to be different, which is why I, I, I try not to just let everything roll automatically because it doesn't become as relevant. You know, students will receive information that's old. They're like, well, Professor James, that took place last year. Why are we talking about it now? I guarantee you there's some more current content that's taking place right now that we can talk through. Uh, as well as, you know, overall just being passionate, just being passionate for things that you're involved with. Mm -hmm. If you're not passionate about it, you're wasting your time. Mm -hmm. if, 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 if you don't, if this is not something, and you've probably heard this a thousand times, if this is not something you do for free, you're wasting your time. Mm -hmm. That's a word too. Life lessons. All these life lessons. Wow. This was so amazing. Like, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Because obviously there's a lot going on. <laughs> so just thank you so much for um, your insight. And, and it just really has been a pleasure interviewing you and learning. And um, I, I love when I talk to, to guests and I get these life lessons because they, they mean something to me. And I also know that they will mean something to everyone who gets the chance to listen. And to my students, they're going to really, really enjoy uh, hearing from you. Some of them <laughs> may actually have you. So, Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> That's exciting. Yes, thank you. Thank you so very much. And um, we'll see how things go with the festival for next year and the years coming because I definitely want to have you back on Pineapple Talks because there will be more to talk about. Well, Ms. Davis, my pleasure being with you today. Um, hopefully I've brought some, some light to the various topics at hand. Um, these are some very tough times that we're living in, but excited about the future. So definitely thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share Pineapple Talks.